0: never ask me here, how much do you make a year, right? I would never ask you. That's polite conversation, right? And yet here in the proxy statement, we get to see it right there. Hello and welcome to
1: Off the Books, where we surf the uncharted waters of accounting, finance, risk, and wherever else the waves take us. This episode is brought to you by Workiva, the one platform that unites financial reporting, ESG, audit, and risk, plus gap taxonomy enthusiasts and XBRL aficionados. Workiva, it fills the gap in your heart. My name is Steve Soder, accounting enthusiast and Diet Coke aficionado. I'm looking forward to debiting a great conversation, and I'm so happy to have you with us. I am also, as always, very happy to have Catherine Tsai joining us. Catherine, can you please tell everyone about yourself?
2: Sure, I'm not an accountant or Diet Coke aficionado, but I like venti soy chais and asking questions, so I'm very excited to ask questions of our guest today. I
1: can completely understand why. Today, we are talking to Michelle Leader, who runs the website footnoted.com, who has been digging into the juiciest parts of SEC filings since all the way back in 2003. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Steve and Catherine. I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Well, to get started, tell us a little bit about footnoted.com and maybe how did that all begin with in the first place?
0: Yeah. So, you know, the site began, I'm actually like, I feel like I'm a grandmother when it comes to financial blogging. <laughs> this is not a Johnny come lately type of thing. I started in 2003. So we're coming up on 20th anniversary. And it was when I wrote a book called Financial Fine Prints Uncovering a Company's True Value. I had been a business journalist previously and, and, you know, as a business journalist, I thought that I knew a lot about investing, right? Because I was writing about this stuff all the time. And what I learned when I bought, you know, a stock, it wasn't the first stock I bought, but one of the earlier stocks that I bought was that I knew virtually nothing because I didn't actually read the SEC filing. Even though I was reading SEC filings for my reporting, it's kind of like, you know the uh, the 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 carpenter who you know needs to um, repair their house, the handyman who has like you know a broken toilet and all these other things, right? So, I was um, not reading the SEC filing for this particular company, which was Quest Communications, and after I lost a bunch of money on it, I went back and I was like, huh, what if I had actually spent the time, some of my time reading this? Would I have lost? And you know, at the time it was like five thousand dollars, which you know a good amount of money to me at the time and you know i went back and i was like if i had spent like an hour or two reading the filings reading the 10k reading the queues i probably wouldn't have lost that five thousand dollars and you know that was you know probably would have been a good investment in my time right like two three hours reading the case not losing five thousand dollars that was a good equation at that That's time nice. that
2: brings back some memories quest Jeez, right uh-huh yeah. I
0: chuckled.
1: I chuckled when when you said you lost some money, Michelle. I apologize for that. That's not a laughing matter. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: You know what? You learn. I tell my son all the time. You learn from your mistakes. You know, he comes home with a 92 in math. It's okay. Um, you know, you can focus on what you got wrong and and figure out how you do better the next time.
2: So you mentioned your book. You mentioned the website. Is there also a newsletter related to Footnoted too? Yeah. So
0: um, there's a couple of different things. One of the things that I focus on is the Friday night dump. And the Friday night dump is a period that starts after 4 p.m. on Friday afternoons. Um, So later today, this is a Friday. We're taping this on a Friday. Come 4 p.m. Eastern, uh, markets close, as we all know. But the SEC remains open for another 90 minutes. And that's when companies tend to take out the trash. Um, And so we really pay close attention to that you know perhaps some companies some of the folks who are listening to this and you know you, you see things filed it the sec actually closes at five thirty. they actually have a, a um a tenth of a second clock so i've seen sometimes companies filing at five thirty, 30 you know 57 type of thing um so it's really like they really rush it in right before the sec closes hoping that you know most people are more focused on what they're doing for the weekend um, as opposed to, you know, looking at, you know, SEC filings, 8Ks in particular, but really all filings, there's a lot of dumping that goes on on a Friday afternoon.
2: Interesting. I, uh, I,
1: I actually saw your most recent, uh, I, I got it through LinkedIn and would actually recommend to our audience, uh, uh to definitely subscribe to that on LinkedIn. It was about three card Monty. And it was yeah. so funny, um, actually, because I've played that game with auditors <laughs> before <laughs> I might not want to uh, get into that here in the podcast, but it was really, really interesting that you have brought that up with the context uh, of you know these kind of juicy bits of uh, uh, maybe bad news that companies are trying to sweep under the rug uh,
0: late on a Friday night. Every now and then we'll find something that is, you know, um positive. Um, but I would say that you know the the negative definitely outweighs the positive by far by you know, a strong ratio. And you know, again, this is not like I just want to make clear. This is not like, oh, my God, this is such negative information that I need to like sell the stock immediately or I need to like, you know, some people would short the stock immediately. There are short sellers who also subscribe to the product. Um, this is more of a like it's an indication of a potential problem. A lot of times what I like to think of it as is like, you know, here in California in particular, it's very common to go to the dermatologist once a year for an annual skin check to make sure that that little mole that you have that you're looking at is not actually like cancer, right? Because you want to deal with it before it becomes a real
3: problem.
2: Well, Michelle, I definitely want to ask you more about what you found in the filings, but we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back.
3: This episode of Off the Books is brought to you by Workiva. When I listen to Off the Books, I like to treat myself to a side dish of Cheetos. That's right. The snack food you know and love that leaves behind an orange film on your fingers and whatever your Cheetos fingers grab. It's like an audit trail of where your Cheeto hands have been. What if there was a virtual Cheetos for finance and accounting professionals that left an audit trail of who's been touching your data, who's been changing it, and when? Enter Workiva. It's the platform that simplifies complex work with built-in features like an audit trail. Your team can build spreadsheets, reports, and presentations in the Workiva platform. When anyone makes a change, the Workiva platform tracks who made that change, what changes were made, and the date and time of the change. It's like its own virtual trail of orange pixie dust, only much, much cleaner. See the many other benefits of using Workiva at workiva.com slash podcast. That's W-O-R-K-I-V-A dot com slash podcast. All right, and we are back talking to Michelle leader of footnoted.com.
1: Michelle, I'm certain you looked at a lot of proxy stuff during this most recently concluded proxy season. Um, Lots of good details in there, it seems like. What did you find uh, this year?
0: You know, it's it's always so much fun to read the proxies. You know, when I do a presentation, I always joke around. I say proxies are the sexiest document in the SEC universe. You know, you don't usually think of SEC and sexy at the same time. And sorry if this is NSFF or if that gets close to it, whatever, but. It is really like, you know, it has information, right? Like you would never ask me here, how much do you make a year, right? I would never ask you. That's polite conversation, right? Nobody asks that. Nobody asks what's in your wallet. Of course, there's external clues like what car you drive or the size of your house or whatever, but nobody really knows. And yet here in the proxy statement, we get to see it right there. How much does, you know... How much does so-and-so make? And you get to see it for the top five executives and sometimes more executives. And so that's why I joke around that like proxies are really, you know, the sexiest document because it's giving you information that, you know, maybe you could say it's prurient, uh, you know, prurient interest, whatever. But I think, you know, if you're a shareholder in the company, it's important. I always like to look at the proxies because not only are you getting the compensation for the top five executives. You're also getting, you know, consulting agreements. You're getting related party transactions. You're getting how much directors are compensated for, you know. So there's a lot of really good information in there. And then, of course, you know, the shareholder voting, you know, what shareholders are proposing. Um, so there's really a lot of things to like about reading proxies. And I found a lot of good stuff this proxy season, um, I think one of my favorites was the disclosure in DraftKings proxy statement about how they spent, um, and this was something I posted about on LinkedIn, they spent about $130,000 to take the CEO and his family to the Super Bowl um, You know, last year. Um, that's a lot of money. I mean, I know in the greater scheme of things, is $130,000 going to bankrupt DraftKings? No, probably not. But the idea that like the company is paying for this is kind of, you know, that's the detail that you find in a proxy that you probably would not find anywhere else. I can guarantee you DraftKings was not putting out a press release saying, hey, we spent one hundred and thirty thousand dollars to take our CEO and his family to the Super Bowl.
2: Why would DraftKings disclose that? Does that mean it's material or is it just something that they felt they needed to disclose?
0: I think it's probably I I mean, you know, I don't know DraftKings financials intimately, but like I I would I think it would be hard to argue that it was material. So it's kind of like good news, bad news. It's interesting to see. And, you know, kind of like makes you like, huh, the CEO really couldn't pay for his family to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, you know, we pay for all sorts of things, right? You want to take your kids to Disney for the weekend. You know, it's it's on you, <laughs> um, you know, whatever whatever you want to do, right? Like, And so it's kind of interesting when you see these sorts of things. Um, and we saw a lot of them in the proxies this year. I mean, that was one that really jumped out at me, but there were plenty of others too.
1: You know, one of the things that, that occurs to me, and I'm certainly not a securities attorney, but I have been part of those conversations before. So the CEO is one of the, you know, named executive officers where uh, that, compensation disclosure uh, that she had mentioned you'd find in proxies, that is a required disclosure. And there's this behind the scenes conversation like, okay, could that have been construed as being part of the CEO's compensation? If it was and wasn't a business expense, okay, then yeah, this probably belongs on the proxy, even though at a dollar amount, for sure, it's not going to be material from an SEC reporting standpoint. And then there's that back and forth between uh, the executive, the company, as well as the Securities Council like, well, hey, we don't really want to disclose it, but we feel like we have to disclose it. And crap, if I knew that we were going to disclose it, I probably wouldn't have done the thing in the first place because it's a little bit embarrassing, you know? What uh, What else did you uh, come across as proxy season, Michelle?
2: You know, I
0: think um, there's all sorts of interesting things. I mean, like, you know, Zoom recently, they just put out a proxy last week because I guess they're on a little bit of a different schedule. Um, This is Zoom Communications. And they had an executive, um, a former Google executive, um, who spent nine months working there. And before he was let go, he was he was, I think, named the president of um, Zoom. And he worked there for nine months and he wound up with about 30 million dollars for that nine month stint, Um, you know, which is, you know, a lot of money for I think most of us if we were asked, hey, work nine months, make 30 million dollars. I think there's Very few people who wouldn't take that deal. Um, You know, so, um, you know, you see things like that, like, you know, you see security costs. I mean, I look at like, you know, Facebook. I mean, you know, Mark Zuckerberg famously takes, you know, zero dollars in salary, but he spends over 20 million dollars on, you know, security costs. Um, You know, so there's things like that um, that you see. You know, the security costs are really uh, expensive. Interesting because they have been creeping up quite a bit lately. And, you know, you've always seen this in the proxies. I mean, I remember one time a couple of years ago, maybe it was even longer, you know, the the, the CEO of uh, Macy's at the time, Federated Department Stores, it was right around the time that Federated changed his name to Macy's, and there was a disclosure about how the CEO was driven around in an armored car um with security guards and i'm thinking like is someone really coming yeah that seems like like i don't know i i obviously i don't know the threats that these folks face and i don't want to make light of it because you know perhaps there are legitimate security threats right i mean i'm sure mark zuckerberg faces legitimate security threats and he has a right to protect him and his family um but some of these do seem a little you know kind of like uh over the top. I mean, I, I just can't imagine, you know, why you need to be driven around in a, you know, like a, a like a vehicle like, you know, Biden, you know, is driven around in when you're the CEO of Macy's.
2: How does that compare, though, to security costs for other big time CEOs? That's one of the largest I've seen, honestly. I mean, you
0: know, Amazon, you know, Jeff Bezos spends a lot as well. Um, I don't remember looking at that number this year, but in the past, it's been, you know, pretty hefty. I mean, look, these people do not live lives like you and me. They have multiple residences that they, you know, and multiple conferences and, you know, private jets and multiple, you know, like entourages with them and everything like that. So, I mean, there is some expense to that.
2: Steve, do you disclose what your security costs are?
0: Uh, well, as of yet, my security
1: costs are limited to the golden doodle I have uh, watching over me here at the house. Um we, we took that as a personal expense, though, so we don't want to charge okay. that back to Off the Books or to our sponsor. Um, you know, it's interesting um, on that that thought about security, because I wonder if you were to talk to a member of the board, to, hey, you know, what, what do you think about this? And, and I'm assuming that if you were a founder, let's say, you know, Zuckerberg, for example, say, well, hey, you know what, it kind of is what it is, like, what do you want me to do?
0: Yeah, no, I mean I think you can make a legitimate example. I'm sh- I mean a, a legitimate argument, I should say. I think, you know, someone like Zuckerberg is a unique individual in his position, and I'm sure he legitimately faces security risks, and he's got two young children, and, you know, anyone who's a parent will know that they'll do anything to protect their kids, right? But um it doesn't look good when you're laying off employees.
2: Well, Michelle, I know you mentioned that this year marks the 20th anniversary of footnoted.com. So, over the years, what are some of the most surprising things that you found or the sexiest disclosures you found?
0: You know, one of my favorites actually is from Quest Communications and it was um a number of years ago and they had hired a new CEO who had been living in Den I'm I'm sorry, had been living in San Francisco, relocated to where Quest was based in Denver. And as part of the disclosure, they disclosed that the I think the stepdaughter um, was allowed to fly private between San Francisco and Denver to um, go to, you know, back and forth to her, her school. And I remember thinking, like, this seems like I mean, you know, this seems like kind of a crazy request, like a high school kid. You know, I used to take the bus to high school, (laughs) New York City Transit. It was it was quite glamorous. (laughs) And, uh, you know, this kid gets to fly back and forth on a, you know, on a Gulf Stream or whatever. I don't know it was a Gulf Stream, but like gets to fly back and forth on a private jet to go to high school. I mean, you know, this is like probably 15 years ago. It was early on when I was, you know, like maybe even earlier starting out. And so I wonder what that girl, you know, like like how do you get on a Southwest flight once you've gotten used to flying private in high school? (laughs) Slightly different
1: experience.
0: Yeah, do you get like number C30 and like you're happy with that? (laughs)
1: Well, and 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 I'm I'm connecting the dots here. That clearly you've you know, you've started paying more attention to Quest Communications, uh, so you weren't uh, fooled twice there. With yeah, exactly. The loss of your investment. Well, yeah. You know, Michelle, one question that I have: What advice would you give to companies who may have to make a potentially embarrassing disclosure? And and to me, it seems like look, if you're doing something at the last possible minute on a Friday night. You're messaging subtly that you don't want a lot of people to see this. And, 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 you know, I I wonder about what's going on behind the scenes of that, you know, outside counsel and public relations and other people. But I just wonder, if you find yourself in that position, what do you do? Any advice that you have having looked at this for so many years?
2: I mean, I think just
0: get, you know, it's, it's, you know, get it out there. Honesty is like, you know, I went to Brandeis University and like, you know, like Louis Brandeis famously said, Sunshine is the best disinfectant. Right. Um, You know, it's it's get it out there um, and, you know, maybe don't try to make it seem like, you know, dress it up as something that it isn't. Um, You know, so in one way, I, I you know, I salute the people at DraftKings. They were like, that had to be embarrassing to say that, that we paid for the CEOs and his family's Super Bowl thing. But they actually got it out there and they said it.
1: Well, and it and it occurs to me to that point about all the people that it takes to put together a proxy, it would seem like this is a governance opportunity because, again, to use the DraftKings example, I've got to believe that if the CEO understood that this was going to be disclosed, maybe they would have thought about, okay, well, does it become compensation if my family's there? And so if my family stays home or I pay for my family, then yeah, maybe I could argue that this is a legitimate business business expense. You do wonder if the governance surrounding that could maybe inform uh, whoever that executive is so that whatever the thing is, a trip to the Super Bowl, private jet, or whatever, if they understood the disclosure implications, then they could make more of an informed decision. Hey, would I really want this disclosed to my neighbors, right? Ew. Next door, I could just, with a simple search on Edgar, actually pull up something like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you could certainly make that argument that, you know, would um, you know, I don't know again, because I'm not familiar with that side of the equation, right? I only see what's disclosed. But I would imagine that there's a lot of discussion that goes on in the background and and I could see how, um, you know, it would be um, you know, beneficial if they knew that this was gonna this was going to have to be disclosed, that maybe they would treat it differently. Maybe they would, you know, buy their own tickets to the Super Bowl. I mean, $130,000 for the Super Bowl is a lot of money. You know, presumably, I don't know where he was flying from. You know, the end point was L.A., Um, you know, but like even, you know, a cross-country flight and, you know, parking and meals and, you know, that's a pretty nice weekend. I don't know. Or $130,000 for the weekend, I got to tell
1: you. (laughs) Well, or an average weekend in the Soder House, you know, I mean, it just sort of depends. I'm just kidding.
0: Do you roll that way, Steve?
1: (laughs) Maybe. No, I don't.
2: I certainly don't.
0: Catherine, you blow $130,000 on a weekend?
2: I am excited to try. (laughs) Well, Let's say you do have a really potentially embarrassing disclosure. When and how is the best place to disclose it? Do you wait for the proxy? Do you try to do an 8K as soon as possible? What do you think?
0: I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of embarrassing disclosure you have. I mean, you know, we've seen a lot of like lately with, you know, sort of coming out of the Me Too movement, executives suddenly being, um, you know, let go, um, you know, and, you know, actually, and that reminds me of a pet peeve that I have, you know, in all of these years of reading filings, um, companies will almost undoubtedly say that so-and-so, you know, John Doe, Sally Katz whatever her name is you know whoever the person is that there were no disputes when they left so they wait until Friday after 4 p.m to disclose it and invariably it's always like there were no disputes and I'm like hmm do you leave a job that pays you know a good salary um you know with really no disputes (laughs) um you know so it's just like one of those things like it's kind of like you know, couched in the language of saying that, you know, the same thing with accounting firms, right? Someone's accounting firm is let go. Almost like, you know, I would say 98% of the time, it's like there were no disputes, no arguments, no, um, there's three different disclosures, you know, no material events, whatever. Um, So I feel like honesty is always the best policy. And I realize that, you know, it can be tricky because there is a active plaintiff's bar, And so, you know, some of these companies are, you know, obviously, you know, working on their disclosures with that in mind. Um, But yeah, I think that, you know, honesty is always the best policy. Well, Michelle,
1: it has been a pleasure to talk to you. As we get ready to wrap up, we'll note that uh, the website is footnoted.com. We all gave really brief bios of ourselves at the beginning of this episode. But what is a footnote that you would add to your bio? If we could add a footnote to a podcast episode, that is.
0: Hmm. Um, My dog actually reads all the SEC filings for me. I am just an AI front.
1: (laughs) Well, you're a very pleasant AI front, so you've got that going for you. There you go. (laughs) Catherine, how about you?
2: Uh, Mine would be once worked at a tortilla factory, which convinced me to get my college degree and go into a different career instead what's yours
1: steve well after some uh discussion and uh uh, intrigue recently i will say that uh i do love diet coke that is my uh drink of choice however a coke zero uh is acceptable uh from time to time so that would that that would be my footnote there
2: surprising footnote
1: (laughs) well i don't like Coke zero at all really (laughs) Like not even a bit, but you do like Diet Coke. Is that is that correct? I do like
0: Diet Coke, but I and you know what I really love? Like, especially being here in Southern California I love the Mexican Coke. Ah, and it's yes. yeah, it easy to find here in Southern California. When yep. I was back living in New York, like, you know, I'd walk into these bodegas and I would ask for Mexican Coke and I think that they thought I was looking for something else. <laughs> What's Mexican not- Coke? Dakota. <laughs>
1: Hey, I got a guy, but uh, he's not in the store. Where are you going to go out back to go ask him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, yeah. uh, Michelle, big thanks for joining us on the episode today. Thank you so much.
0: Right. Thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Now, on to the Friday Night Dump.
1: There you go.
2: Couple hours. Well, thank you, dear listener, for surfing along with us. I'm Catherine Sly. that was Steve Soder, and this has been Off the Books presented by Workiva. Please subscribe, leave a review, tell your buddies if you liked the show. If you're watching this on YouTube, leave us a note in the comments, or feel free to drop us a line at offthebooks at workiva.com. Surf's up, and we'll see you on the next wave.